What are you known for? What is your reputation with others? When Jesus spoke to the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, he says to this church, I know your reputation. You have a reputation for being alive, but the reality is you are dead. Today on Awaken to Grace, we're going to study the words of Jesus to his church in the city of Sardis. We're going to understand the importance of the city and why Jesus used the specific language he used to the Christians of that city. And you know what, my friends? <laughs> the words of Jesus have as much weight and as much relevance to our lives today as it did back then. I'm so glad you're listening to Awaken to Grace today as we continue our journey through the seven churches of Revelation. I hope you enjoy today's broadcast from Revelation chapter 3. Well, today, as I said, we're in the fifth city. We're in the city of Sardis. With each of these cities, I've tried to give you a bit of history. I've tried to share with you uh, some, what I feel Christ not only said to the church, but to the city itself. I've tried to give you a bit of historical background because I think that helps us understand the context of which the scripture was written. I've also laid out why I believe that each of the churches represent a certain time period of church history. Today's time period would represent the church of Sardis, I think, would represent the post-Reformation period, the 1500s and the 1600s. I'll show you next week why the church of Philadelphia, I believe, represents the greatest explosion of missions ever in the earth. And that would be the 1700s and the 1800s. And then to, to conclude the series... On the final week of July, we'll be at the church of Laodicea, and I'll show you why I believe that represents the 1900s and, of course, the 2000s. I believe that it represents certain periods of church history, and I don't think that many people would argue that we are living today in the church of Laodicea. And I think it's very interesting that of the three chapters Of the first three chapters of Revelation, of the seven churches that are mentioned, Laodicea is the last and the final church. Could it be that we are the church right before the coming of Jesus Christ? Friends, I believe we are. You don't have to be very spiritual. You don't have to be very religious to look around at the earth today and to notice the intensifying of events upon the earth today. Things are increasing. Evil is increasing. The climate, the atmosphere is intensing. And why is that? Because, friends, I believe we are in the two-minute warning. You watch football games. You watch basketball games. And you can see when it comes to the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter, that's when a different intensity comes into the teams. A different intensity comes into the game. And friends, I believe that we are in the final two-minute warning before Jesus Christ returns. 
So today we're in the city of Sardis. Let me share with you a bit of history of the city of Sardis, and then we'll begin to lay out the scripture phrase for phrase. Notice with me in verse number one of Revelation chapter three, he says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. Now we'll explain the next few phrases, but let's stop right there for a moment. Where was Sardis? I like to say that Sardis was an ancient city before this ancient time. Sardis has an unbelievable history. Now remember, in our seven churches, in our study of these seven churches, if you were a mail carrier delivering the seven letters of Christ to the churches and you followed the mail route, well, it would look almost like a capital D. That's the direction we're going. So we began in the city of Ephesus, which was a harbor city, the capital city. And then we went 35 miles north to the city of Smyrna, which again was a harbor city right off the Aegean Sea. And then from there we went 50 miles north, 15 miles inland to the city of Pergamum. And oh, did we ever have a lot to say about the city of Pergamum. And then from there we went about 35 miles east to the city of Thyatira. That's where we were last week. And now today, we're going to travel 35 miles south, 50 miles east of Ephesus, 35 miles south of Thyatira, and now we're in the city of Sardis. And we're going to work our way down to Philadelphia and then over to Laodicea, and that will complete our journey. Now, Sardis had an unbelievable history. The city was leveled by an earthquake right around the time of Christ. It came under Roman government rule around 133 B.C., before Christ. When Jesus was young, the Roman emperor of the Roman government was Tiberius. Tiberius was a wicked and an evil and a very depraved man. If you've never done any history on the emperor Tiberius, he was a wicked, wicked man. Well, Tiberius rebuilt the city in A.D. 17, just a short time before Christ was to be crucified. By the time that John wrote his letter from Christ to the church of Smyrna, they were well back up on their feet. And the city was actually quite famous. It was famous in this region. I remember the region we're in is today modern Turkey. But the region back then, when it was under Roman rule, was called Asia Minor. This was the province of Asia Minor. And Sardis was a famous city of Asia Minor. They were famous, first of all, for their past wealth. It was in the city of Sardis that coins were first minted in gold and silver. They were known as a wealthy and affluent city. They were also famous for their wool productions. They produced carpets and rugs. They produced garments. This was one of the leading centers for garment production of linens and wool in this region. Actually, the city sat at the junction of five main roads. 
And the main road was called the Imperial Highway. It was a trade center. And a great deal of trade happened through the city of Sardis. It was a connection point, a junction. And so here Sardis was famous not only for their past wealth, not only for their wool production, but they were also famous for their fortified city. I'll get into more of this later in our text, but here's what you need to know right now. The city began as a fortress city. It was very unique. The city was built 1,500 feet up above the ground onto the side of a mountain. And three sides of this mountain were, were, was literally unscalable. An army could not penetrate it. There was only one way into the city, and that was on the south side of the city. It was a small, narrow path. You could put a handful of soldiers at the, at the entrance of this path and well keep out any army trying to invade. It was that small, that narrow, and it was difficult to find. Well, as time went, the people of Sardis outgrew their 15-foot high fortress, and they spilled over onto the ground below them, and they built out from there. Now, when times of threat came, in times of war, if there was any kind of danger or a threat of danger, they always kept food and they always kept water stored in their 1,500-foot fortress, and they would flee there, and they would fortify themselves and keep soldiers to keep watch to guard. We'll get into that in just a moment. But there was another reason why Sardis was famous in the ancient world. It was known for death. Oddly enough, there was a necropolis. A necropolis in those days, it is a graveyard. It is a cemetery. They had a large graveyard that could be seen for miles away, and it was called the hill, uh, it was called um, a thousand hills. And here thousands of tombs were across this graveyard. Is it any wonder that in verse 1, Jesus addresses this church, this city that's known for its cemetery, the city that's known for its necropolis. Is it any wonder that Jesus would say to them, I know your works. And that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are, what's your Bible say? Dead. How interesting. You have a reputation of being alive. Everyone likes you. Everyone thinks you're doing well. Everybody sees your good works. Everybody sees your outreach. Everybody sees your community relations. But Jesus says, I am the head of the church. And I see that you are fake. I see that you are phony. I see that you are not genuine nor authentic. And what I see is that in reality, you are dead. Your reputation is that you are alive, but the reality is you are dead, Jesus said. How fitting to say to the city that was known for death, you are dead. How many churches today, how many Christians today would Jesus look at our lives and if he evaluated our life right now, people would look at you and say, oh, you've got everything together. 
Oh, you, you attend a, uh, you know, you go to Preaching Christ Church and, you know, oh, you, 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 you know the worship songs and, you know, I see you pray before you eat or things like that and, and people know that you're religious or people know that you are spiritual. But in reality, if Jesus were to evaluate your life, Jesus would say, you're dead. What a sobering thing for Jesus Christ to say to his church. Now, he's going to give the remedy, but how can we accept the remedy if we don't accept the diagnosis? Have you ever had a loved one who would refuse to go to the doctor? How can you get medicine? How can you get the remedy if you refuse the diagnosis? So, Jesus, watch what he says in verse 1 to this church. He's going to say what feels like a complicated thing, but let me explain it to you. And I don't think it's as complicated as what it feels. Now remember, Jesus says to all seven churches, he's going to reveal himself. He's going to introduce himself in this letter, in each of the letters. He's going to follow a very clear format with all of the churches. Remember in Ephesus... He introduced himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the golden candlesticks. Remember in Smyrna, he told those Christians, I am he that was dead but is alive again. And you remember that was the motto of their city, the city that was dead but lives again. (coughs) Remember what he said to the people of Pergamum, I will come to you with a double-edged sword. Remember the Roman proconsul of Pergamum? What was he known for? The mighty sword with which he carried. And do you remember Thyatira? How did Jesus say he would come to those people? With eyes of burning flame of fire and with feet as brownished brass, as a judge. Well, now in the city of Sardis, a city that is known for death, this city where the church is now pronounced as dead, how does Jesus reveal himself? Watch what he says. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, at first glance, this seems very odd and hard to interpret. We know there's only one Holy Spirit, right? So, why does this verse say seven spirits of God? What does Jesus mean by this? Well, friends, this is why, as a Bible teacher, as a pastor, it's my job to rightly divide the Word. In other words, rightly handle the Word of God. So, let's rightly handle this. What did Jesus mean when he said the seven spirits? Of God. Well, we believe what it mainly references is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. You may want to note that. Isaiah 11, verse 2 talks about the manifold ministry of the Holy Spirit, the multiple ministries that the Holy Spirit has, the sevenfold ministry. It could also refer to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And in there, there is a vision of the seven golden lampstand being fed with oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. It could allude to that, most certainly. But friends, understand this. I I don't think there's much confusion here for me. 
Because how many churches is Christ addressing right now? Seven. Now, were there more than seven churches? Oh, absolutely. You had the church in Thessalonica, the church in the city of Rome, the church in the city of Corinth. You had the church in the city of Philippi. You had the church in Macedonia. Oh, you had tons and tons and tons of churches, not to mention the Jerusalem church, not to mention the Antioch church. Why did Jesus address seven? Because, friends, the number seven in the Bible always represents the number of completeness. What's he saying? I believe what Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit, seven churches, seven spirits of God, the number of completion, I believe Jesus is saying what is complete for the church is the perfect, the manifold work and ministry of the precious Holy Spirit. Amen? What Jesus is saying is your church is dead and I have, I possess Christ, the head of the church. I have what you need and it is the Holy Spirit. It is Isaiah 11.2, the ministry, the manifold work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I don't care how good our music is. I don't care how eloquent our preaching is. I don't care how robust our kids' programs are. I don't care how strong our outreach or missions program may be. Friends, there is nothing that replaces the Holy Spirit within a congregation. And there's nothing that replaces the Holy Spirit in your personal life. We must have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, if you are a dead Christian... If the pronouncement over your life is that you are a dead Christian, I have the remedy. I have the answer. And it is the precious Holy Spirit. Amen. It's what we need today. I don't believe the Lord is gauging us by the quality of our music. Do you realize that throughout the New Testament, Paul never wrote to any church and said, Guys, I tell you, your music has just really went up to another level. Did he ever do that? Paul never wrote to pastors and said, you know, I tell you, I I hear your, your illustrations, pastor, is just getting better and better. (laughs) You know, as a pastor, I have a little pet peeve. And that's, I I don't know, if you notice, a, a lot of pastors today no longer call themselves pastors. You know what they call themselves? Communicators. Rather than being a shepherd, Rather than being a pastor, they are the lead communicator. And I'm not throwing stones at them. I'm not saying they're wrong for it. But I'm saying for me, I don't want to be a communicator. I want to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. I want fire on my tongue. I want my words to be scorching and searching because they're the words of the Holy Spirit and not my own intellect. Amen? I have nothing to communicate to you apart from Jesus Christ. Because nothing will save your soul. Nothing will help you. Nothing will take you into eternity. Nothing will give you eternal life other than Jesus Christ. No, I'm not a communicator. I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor. So he says, yes, the seven spirits of God. Friends, if you're dead today, If you're lifeless today, if you've lost that passion, if you've lost that zeal, if you've lost that hunger, if you've lost that thirst, 
My friends, what you need today more than you need anything is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And Jesus is saying to the church, I have what you need. And now he says, notice the seven stars. Well, what's the seven stars? We've explained, I believe this is the seven, I believe these are the pastors of the church, but, but, but even if, if people were to disagree with that, let's at least say this, and I think everyone would agree to this, he's speaking of spiritual authority. And Jesus is saying, I have what the church needs. The beautiful work of the Holy Spirit and all spiritual authority. And that will revive your church. That will revive your spiritual life. So now look at, notice, notice. well, let's finish verse 1. He, he says, I uh, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. <coughs> I know your works. Now remember, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Philadelphia and Laodicea. He's going to have something good to say, something commendable. But to Sardis? He has nothing good to say. Isn't that shocking? He says, I know your works. And your reputation is that you are alive. In other words, you look good to the community. You look good to the city. You look good to outsiders. But the reality is, is that you're dead. Friends, our church can look good to the community. But what does Jesus think of us? We can be full of good works, but are they the right things that Jesus notices? Would our lives be like what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Remember what he said? You're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Don't let that be said of your life. So now notice verse 2. What's Jesus say to this dying church? Wake up! Oh, why did Jesus say this? Well, let's go deeper into their history. So before Jesus was born, before the time of Christ came, that his incarnation, I hesitate to say before Jesus was born because you realize before Abraham was, he said, I am. It was his incarnation, right? Anyways. Just clarify that. Before Jesus came to this earth, twice, now hear me now, twice the, the city was overran and captured. Now, remember, we're talking about a fortress city. We're talking about 1,500 feet up in the air. We're talking only one way in, one narrow path on the south side. How could any army overtake it? The walls were unscalable. You could not penetrate it. Well, let me tell you of one incident in particular. Ever heard of the King Cyrus of the Persians? He overthrew the city. Do you know how he overthrew the city? He didn't pick the fight with the, with the people of Sardis. The king of Sardis came against him. Well, they began to overpower them, and Sardis fled, and they ran up into their fortress city, and they fortified themselves, and Cyprus was hot on their, uh, Cyrus was hot on their heels. King Cyrus gets down to the basin, 
trying to figure out how they're going to scale and how they're going to get up there. He offers a massive bounty to whatever soldier can figure out how to overthrow the city. While they're waiting, while they're contemplating and planning, all of a sudden history says one of King Cyrus' soldiers notices a helmet falling off the mountain. He begins to investigate, and they find the narrow path on the south side that led to the city. And guess what the handful of soldiers were doing? They were asleep. They easily killed them, and they took the city. Twice in the history of Sardis, they lost their fortified city because their soldiers fell asleep. Is it any wonder that Jesus says to this church, wake up? What is Jesus saying to us today? What did Jesus say to his disciples? Can you not pray with me through the night? Can you not tarry with me? Christians are prone to sleep, are we not? Why does the book of Ephesians say it is high time for the church to wake up? Because we're prone to slumber. We're prone to sleepiness. And now notice what he says. I find this fascinating. This has always been one of my favorite little phrases in Revelation. But I'll I'll confess, I didn't know its true meaning until preparing for this sermon today. Notice what he says in verse 2. Strengthen that which remains and is about to die. I've, always, I've even prayed that phrase. Lord, strengthen that which remains. Lord, help me as a pastor. Strengthen that which remains. But I never really knew the meaning. You know what the word strengthen here actually means? It means to stabilize. Now think about that. Someone's dying. What do you do? You stabilize them. You know, it was interesting to me. I say interesting looking back. It was frightening in the moment. Two years ago, this November, my uh, fourth and final child, (laughs) final child, God said, be fruitful and multiply, and we met our quota. We're done. So (laughs) our final child, John Mark, was born. And when John Mark, who may be the sweetest kid on this earth, I don't know, he's something. He'll be two in November. And when he was born, I had just a little bit of eyesight left. I could see out of the bottom of my right eye and out the right side, barely. If I looked at him and tilted my head in a certain direction, I could see him. But then I lost sight just about a month after that. So John Mark was born, and... He was born just a bit premature. So the nurse takes John Mark and I into another section of the hospital, into the nursery area. And she's examining him. And I can barely see out of the bottom of my eye, but I could see it for myself. When John Mark would breathe, his breathing was very shallow. And you could see all of his little ribs in his ribcage. And she said, Chad, I think he's a bit premature. Well, you can imagine how much that scared me. She showed me his feet, and they, 
I may have this backward at this point. Either it had wrinkles or it didn't have wrinkles. I think it had wrinkles. It, it wasn't good. And she said, this means he's early. He's premature. She bent his legs in a certain way. And she said, see, Chad, they're not supposed to bend this way. He's a little bit premature. Well, I'm falling apart inside. I'm saying, are we going to take him to Nicewonger? Does he need to be in a NICU? I mean, what, what are we going to do? And she said, oh, no, 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 calm down, calm down. She said, he's fine. She said, we're going to put him underneath a heating lamp. I said, like a French fry lamp? <laughs> you know, like you see in restaurants? And she said, well, sort of. <laughs> and she said, we're going to put him underneath a heating lamp for about 30 minutes or an hour, and he's going to be fine. And thank God he was fine. But you know what I noticed? For the next two days while we were in the hospital with him, I counted it. Twelve different nurses came to check him. One nurse would come and just check his temperature. And she was out the door. Another nurse would come and check his breathing. Another nurse would come and check his stool. Another nurse would come and check his lungs. And just, I mean, 12 different, rather than one nurse just going down a checklist, no, 12 different nurses came and stabilized him and made sure he was okay. You know what the Lord spoke to me in that hospital room that day? The Lord said, Chad, do you do that with new believers in your church? Do you check them? Do you make sure they own a Bible? Do you make sure they've been baptized? Do you make sure that they know the foundations of faith? Do you make sure they know how to join a small group? Do you, know, do, do you make sure they know their next steps? I tell you, if anywhere that we collectively as a church, where we fail is we do not stabilize people, do we? And Jesus tells us, Strengthen. In other words, stabilize those who are weak. I'm very excited that next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. My friends, if you have never been baptized, if you have never followed the Lord Jesus Christ in public testimony, baptism, do it next Sunday. And let me tell you, we've never had a casualty. So you're going to be fine. Amen? I remember when I was, I've told the story before, but when I was baptized, I was so scared to get baptized. I was so nervous. And I don't know why. Nothing had ever happened at our church. No one had ever drowned. But I was scared. Oh, I was so nervous. And my mom, she nagged me and nagged me and nagged. The Holy Spirit didn't even have to deal with me because mom was all over me. And... She came to me time and time again, Chad, you want to get baptized? You need to get baptized. And I was young. I probably was, I was probably 11 or 10. Man, she was, Chad, you need to be baptized. You need to follow the Lord in baptism. Finally, our church was doing a baptism on Sunday night. And she came to me during the service said, Chad, you need to be baptized. Are you going to do it? You going to do it? You going to do it? And just to get her to quit, I said, yes, I'll do it. She went straight and told the pastor. The pastor came straight to the podium and said, Brother Chad's going to be baptized tonight. And there was no way out. <laughs> Amen. 
And you know what I was amazed when I got baptized? I couldn't believe why I resisted, why I followed the Lord. Satan doesn't want you to be baptized. He'll try to intimidate you and scare you and all this mess. No, my friends, take the step of obedience and follow your Lord in public baptism. Amen? Well, then baptism is next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we began our new believers class. And I'm so excited about this. If you're young in your faith, and I'll even say this, if you've been saved for years, but you never, you, you feel like you were never given that firm foundation, you were never given those touch points to make sure you're growing the way you should grow, then sign up for our new believers class. It'll be between our two services at 10 a.m. Uh, for the next few Sundays. Sign up for it. And grow in your faith, amen? So this is what it means, strengthen that which remains. Stabilize that which remains before it dies. And then he says, I have not found, I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now notice verse 3, what does he say? Remember what you have heard and received and keep it. And repent. You know what I believe he's saying there, church? I believe he's saying, don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word. Don't just hear the word. Do the word. Amen? How many of you come Sunday after Sunday? Don't get me wrong. I'm glad you're here. I praise God that you're here. But how many of you come Sunday after Sunday and you hear, but you rarely do? Keep the word. Apply the word of God to your daily lives. Amen? Apply it. Keep it. Guard it. Hold fast to it. And then notice what he says. Or else I'll come against you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. Now, many times Jesus references the rapture of the church to this phrase called as a thief in the night but that's not what he's speaking of here he's not speaking of his rapture he's not speaking of the coming to the church to take the church what's he speaking of he's speaking of judgment i believe historically he's reminding the christians of this city you know what it is to lose your city you know what it is to be sneaked up on And I'll come to you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come. What sobering words from the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he's going to give some good news. And look at the positive. And this is where I think you and I come into play. At least it's where we can come into play. He says, but you have some in Sardis. You have some names in Sardis. Some people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, what an interesting thing to say to a major trade center at the junction of five main roads on the Imperial Highway, who's famous for what did we say? The production of wool garments. 
And Jesus says, you have some who've not soiled their garments and they're going to walk with me in white for they are worthy. Hallelujah. And look at the next verse. This is so beautiful. To the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, he will be clothed thus in white garments. Hallelujah. Friends, do you know what Jesus is speaking of right here? I'm going to have you turn for the next couple of moments and just just follow me on this because this is exhilarating to me. It's thrilling to me. Go to Revelation chapter 19 and look at verse 8. In Revelation 19, the Bible teaches that there's going to be the greatest of all weddings of human history. You know who performed the first wedding of human history, don't you? God Almighty. He told Adam, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? He said, if any would have anything to say, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Actually, he didn't. He didn't say any of that. But he did the first wedding, right? Adam and Eve. God himself officiated the first wedding in human history. And the Bible says there's going to be a final wedding of human history. And it's going to be the greatest wedding of all human history of all time. And it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's where the church, us, blood-bought saints are going to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So you have to understand, God has three categories of people. God has the Old Testament saints. God has the New Testament saints, which are us. We're included in that. We're the blood-bought grace. Grace, saved by grace. We are the New Testament church age. And then God will have the tribulation saints. Well, who are the guests at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, according to Revelation 19? Old Testament saints and tribulation saints. But who are the participants? Christ the groom and the church as the bride. Amen? Now look at verse 8. This is where it gets really exciting. Look at verse (laughs) 8. And it was granted to her. Who's her? Us, the church of Jesus Christ. And it was granted to her. That she should adorn herself with the finest of white linens. Hallelujah. Do you see what Jesus is telling the church of Sardis? Now stay right there because I'm not done. Do Do you see what he's telling the church of Sardis? If you overcome sin, if you conquer sin in this life, there is a marriage to come. If you don't soil your life with the flesh, with your fleshly desires and your fleshly sin, if you do not soil your garments, you are going to walk with me and I'm going to give you a garment that is heavenly. And you're going to be married to me. And it's going to be granted to you that you have the finest of all white linen. And notice what the end of verse 8 says. What's this white linen made of? You ready for this? The righteous deeds done by the saints. 
Do you know what that means, my friends? That means every single thing you do for the Lord, every sacrifice you make, everything you give, every, every, every time you go the extra mile, every time you serve, every time you give your best to the Lord, do you know it never goes unnoticed? Do you know what, according to this verse, do you know what you and I are doing right now in this life, on this earth? You and I are threading our garments in heaven with the deeds we do on this earth. How long has it been since you've done something righteous for the Lord? How long has it been since you made a sacrifice on behalf of King Jesus? How long has it been since you've given your best? You've given your all. You've laid it on the table. You've given all that you, all of you to the kingdom of God. Friends, right now you are threading your heavenly garments. And how well dressed you are up there very well depends on how well you live down here. So what's God telling you to do? What's God asking of you? What's God calling you to? Friends, don't lose sight. Listen, I can feel the Holy Spirit right now. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. There are some of you that have grown weary and you're doing well. You've grown weary. You're contemplating quitting. You're contemplating stepping down. You're contemplating stopping your ministry to the Lord. Let me tell you, my friend, let me exhort you with all that I have. Don't stop. Because it's your righteous deeds that's creating your garments in heaven. They matter to the Lord. And one day when we are married to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, We'll be dressed in the finest, in the finest of white linen. What a day that will be. Amen. Hallelujah. So what's he say to the church of Sardis? You'll be clothed thus in white garments. And now notice what he says. And I will not blot your name out of the book of life. You remember that old song? Harold Kelly sang it last year. You remember that old song? I know my name is there. My name once stood with sinners lost and bore a shameful record. Hallelujah. How many of you know my name is in the Lamb's book of life? What did Jesus tell his followers? Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Amen? Friends, that's why the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. What a major deal. And then lastly, and I want you to turn to Jude chapter 1 verse 24. And I'll begin to close with this. Now notice Jesus says, you'll be dressed in, to the one who conquers, you will be dressed in white garments. Your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. And then notice what he says, I will confess you before my father. And before his angels. Now, what does this mean? Go to Jude one twenty four. Notice what Jesus says. Now, notice verse twenty three. We are not to be stained. We're not to stain our garments with the flesh. You see that in verse twenty three. Isn't it amazing how Scripture all ties together? 
And now look what verse 24 says. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Hallelujah. And to present you blameless before his glory with great joy. Friends, you know what the Bible says in Hebrews? That it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? I believe it's Jude 1.24. That one day he's going to present me. And if you're born again, one day he's going to present you. Before all of his glory, his father, the angels. He's going to present us blameless. With great joy. He'll confess you before his father. What a precious thing that is. So friends, are you living for this life? Are you living for the here and the now? Are you living for the next day, the next week, the next month, the next vacation, the next home, the next thrill? Or are you really living for eternity? Because let me tell you, Revelation tells us how to prepare for eternity. I want to be one who overcomes. I want to be one who conquers. Are you conquering sin in your life right now? Are you conquering your flesh? Are you conquering temptation? Or are you dead? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes, please. I don't know your life. I don't know where you are. I don't know. I don't live with you. I may know you here, but I don't know you at home. Are you fake? Are you phony? Are you just spiritual? Because let me tell you, friends, spirituality doesn't cut it. You got to be a conqueror. (laughs) You got to conquer sin as Jesus conquered sin. And you can't do that apart from Jesus. Why don't you stand with me today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Is Jesus speaking to your life? Is he speaking to your heart? Let me tell you, one of the greatest steps to being a conqueror, that's to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he knocking at your heart today? Is he speaking to you? Has he been speaking to you? Why don't you surrender to him today? Everyone praying all over the building. Lord Jesus, help us to yield to you. Help us to yield. Help us to repent, Lord. You tell your church, remember what you've heard and received. Keep it and repent. God, we do that right now. Right now, as you pray, I want to open our altars. If you need to come and pray for any reason, for any reason, you may be going through a trial right now. You may be going through a storm right now. You may need strength today. You may need salvation today. You may have a loved one that you're praying. I don't know. Whatever you need, 
why don't you come forward if you need prayer today? We have deacons and deacon wives and other leaders who will pray with you. Why don't you slip out of your seat? And why don't you come and stand or kneel or sit down on the platform? Why don't you come and get help today from the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't walk out our doors the same way you walked in. Walk out different today. Let the Lord come and help you and minister to you. All of the building, everybody praying right now. Lord, we thank you for your words of warning to Sardis. We thank you, Lord God, for what you said to these people, to this city, to this time period. And now, to us today. Jesus, we take your words literal. We take your words serious. And we act upon them. Oh God, I repent today. I repent of shortcomings. I, report, I, I repent of at times being passive. I repent, Lord God. Times I failed in temptation. Times I have failed in pride and arrogance and boastfulness. God, I repent. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. While well, some are praying today, do you need to repent from sin? Listen, Jesus says he'll take you from death unto life. If you're here today or you're watching online and you want to repent of sin, I want you to pray with me right now. Pray this right now with me. Right now in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me a sinner I come today a sinner in need of a great savior become my savior and my lord forgive my sin make me new and I will follow you all the days of my life Clothe me in white. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know today. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Revive your church, Lord. Revive us. Revive us.